Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. Today, we have to pay very careful attention and focus on the gospel story for this weekend. It's the great conversation between Jesus and Peter. Now, one could say all of our faith really hinges on this discussion between these two men. Now, how does it begin? Jesus, he asks his apostles, who do the people say that I am? Now, in some ways, he's conducting a popular opinion poll. Based upon his preaching and teaching and the miracles he's performed, have the people formed an opinion of him? Now, what I find odd here is where they're at. At the very beginning of the story, it tells us that Jesus and the apostles are in Caesarea Philippi. Well, that's Gentile territory. Jesus really didn't spend a whole lot of time with the Gentiles or in their land. Jesus spent predominantly most of his time in Jewish territory with the Jews. And even he told his apostles to do so. Remember the story in which Jesus sends the apostles out for the very first time to evangelize. And he expressly tells them that they are not to enter a Gentile town or village, but they are sent directly to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And so Jesus didn't spend a lot of time with the Gentiles. They haven't really been exposed to his preaching or his teaching or even seen many of his miracles. And so it's very odd. Now, I would argue Jesus really doesn't care what the people think of him or his identity. So one could reasonably conclude that Gentiles will be wrong in guessing Jesus' identity, and they are. Then he asks the apostles, Now, I find this question that he poses to the apostles very interesting. It's a very simple and rudimentary question. Basically, he's asking them, hey, do you guys really know who I am? Now, he doesn't ask the apostles, do you subscribe to my teaching? Or do you agree with my way of life? But it's just a simple question. Do you really know who I am? Now, I would argue Christianity is the only religion that seeks to know the person of their founder, which is Christ, God. I don't think any other religion in the world does that. give you a great example of what I mean. No Buddhist is going to be interested about the Buddha himself. Buddhism is not about the Buddha. It's about the path of enlightenment and being able to live that out in your life. Well, Christianity is all about its founder, Jesus Christ himself. And so, for centuries, our church has tried to answer that question, who do you say that I am, in our doctrine and our dogma, as well as in our sacraments. Now, what does Jesus find out? Well, the crowd of Gentiles, they're all wrong. 
Now, they find Jesus an intriguing and captivating person. He's doing amazing things. And so there's wide speculation as far as who he really is. Some say it's John the Baptist, others Elijah, others one of the prophets. And so the common link amongst this public opinion is they're all dead wrong. Next, he turns to the apostles. Now, you'd think if there's anyone who should know Jesus' identity, it should be these guys. After all, they're the chosen few, handpicked by Jesus himself, close companions for three years. Think of it. For three years, day in and day out, they ate with Jesus, they walked with Jesus, talked with him, stayed with him. They should know by now, after three years, who he really is. And yet, there's complete silence. So we can only assume that the apostles aren't sure who he really is. But Peter is. He's the only one that pipes up. Now, again, this is odd. Peter, he was alongside the rest of the apostles when they heard Jesus preach, when they saw his miracles, when they saw his healing. And yet none of the apostles, except Peter, knows who he really is. And so it begs the question, why? Is Peter the most intelligent? Hardly. He is a simple fisherman, but he's illiterate. He can't read or write. In fact, St. Mark was his secretary. And scripture scholars believe after Peter's martyrdom in Rome, Mark immediately began to write his gospel based upon everything Peter told him about Jesus. So then it begs the question, is Peter the holiest? That's how he found out who Jesus was. Well, hardly at all. He's constantly vacillating in his faith. Sometimes he's hot, sometimes he's cold. Just a few weeks ago, we heard the story in which he got out of the boat, tried to walk on water, and didn't, and couldn't, and failed. Jesus gets him back into the boat and then, in some ways, ridicules him and says, Oh, you of little faith. Remember, also, it was Peter at the end of Jesus' life that denied even knowing him, and not just once, but three times. Now, I would argue if there's anyone who is the holiest of all the apostles, it's John. John is always referred to as the beloved disciple. If you read his gospel, it's very mystical. Again, why? Why does Peter know and the others don't? Well, Jesus tells us point blank. He says, For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my heavenly Father. That can't be stated any more clearly. God the Father inspired Peter through the power of the Holy Spirit to come to know Jesus' true identity. It wasn't Peter's own intellect trying to resolve that, nor did anyone whisper into Peter's ear. More to it, it's upon the inspired confession of Peter that our church is built. That's why Jesus says, You are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. So what is our church built upon? Well, it's not popular opinion. Our church is built upon the rock of foundation of what God the Father inspired Peter to know and for all of us to know for two millenniums. If our church was built on popular opinion, well, that's like shifting sand, always moving and changing. And in doing so, then essentially the foundation of our faith would collapse centuries ago. Instead, our church rests upon the inspiration and the power of God in order to know Jesus, 
but also to love him and serve him. Now, I think we should all say, thank God, and breathe a collective sigh of relief. Why? Well, because there are people out there, especially in our church, that say the church ought to base itself and its teachings upon popular opinion. Well, if that were the case, we would be like those people in the gospel. We would be dead wrong in knowing Jesus, knowing our faith, and practicing it. Instead, the truth of Jesus' identity and the central affirmation of our faith comes from and is always rooted in God and God alone. Now, often the course of our church's history, the most basic truths of our faith are not widely held or even easily believed. Great example of this. Just a few years ago, there was a poll taken from Catholics just in the United States, and it determined that 75% of the Catholics here in the United States do not believe in the true presence of the Eucharist. Well, sometimes our beliefs are not very popular, maybe even countercultural. Well, a great example of this is our belief in the sanctity of life from conception to natural death. You know, almost every day, we as a church are attacked, we are mocked, we are criticized, and even we become a victim of violence. But if our goal is to keep pace with what is currently trending or popular, and then apply that criteria to the foundation of our teaching, we're going to be in big trouble. Just like those Gentiles in the gospel, we are going to be dead wrong in our knowledge of God, his teaching, and how to live it out. Only through the power of God is our church divinely inspired so that we can know Jesus, love him, and serve him. One last thing. Another way to understand the power of this gospel is our Catholic church, divinely inspired by God the Father, is the oldest institution in the Western world. Of all the institutions in the Western world, they've all come and gone. The Roman Empire, come and gone. Charlemagne, who united Europe and was very successful, his empire, come and gone. You look at the superpowers of the past centuries, France, Spain, Portugal, who once ruled the world and colonized much of the world, come and gone. What is the one institute that has remained, not just for centuries, but for millenniums since it was created. Our Catholic Church. Our church is still here 2,000 years later. It's the only institution that has remained because it's built on the rock of the confession of Peter, inspired by God the Father. And that's what Jesus was referring to. As he says at the end, the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And this is what he means. Our institution, the Catholic Church, will remain. It won't be like the rest of the institutions come and gone. No, our Catholic Church will always be present. It will always remain until the end of time because it's built on that rock and it contains the presence of God and all of God's grace. And we see the evidence of God's presence and his grace in the sacraments, in sacred scripture, in the teachings of Christ. Strongly encourage you, take some time this week. Go over and read this gospel passage for today. It tells us, yes, who Jesus is, but it also tells us who we are as a Catholic church. 
And may the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.